grab your Bibles and turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. We have officially made it two weeks into 2023. That makes two weeks of some people out there attempting to keep a New Year's resolution. Now, some people make a very formal resolution. They write it down. They announce it on social media. They have people keep them accountable. Others have more of an informal resolution, you know, something they just kind of want to work on and get better at this year. But regardless, here's what we know from research. The sad reality is that most people will not keep up with the change they want to make this year. Of those who make New Year's resolutions, after one week, only 75% are still going strong. After two weeks, we're down to 71%. After six months, we're at 46%, less than half, still going. And at the end of the year, by the time we get to New Year's Eve of 2023, only 9% will have made it by keeping their whole resolution. Surveys have found that by far there is one kind of resolution that is the most popular every single year. Uh, Any guesses as to what that might be? (laughs) Yes, it is generally just getting healthier physically. So yeah, losing weight, eating better, exercising. That means a lot of people, including me, we know that physical health is important, that we need to take care of our bodies, that we could do a better job of that. But we have a hard time following through with it. And I've found that the same is true when it comes to our spiritual health as well. As followers of Jesus, look, we all know that we need to grow in our relationship with God. So we make a commitment. We say, this is the year I'm going to read through the entire Bible. And then we hit Leviticus. (laughs) The place where all Bible reading plans go to die. (laughs) Or we say, this year, I'm going to pray more. I'm going to get more involved. I'm going to serve. And then life gets chaotic and busy and and things just don't go according to plan. Look, I want you to know, if you've ever experienced that, you are not alone. In fact, I have been there myself. People think that if you're a pastor, then reading your Bible every day and praying is just so natural and easy. You're like always in this state of spiritual bliss. But I can tell you firsthand that is simply not true. Building these habits into your life, growing spiritually, it's not easy. It takes effort. It takes consistent discipline, and it requires us to do something we call sustain. And that word sustain is one of the five habits that start with the word S that we identified and adopted as a church several years back. We said these five habits are essential for every Jesus follower to know and to live out for themselves. So to kick off this new year, we're spending five weeks talking through each of those five S habits. We're looking at them first in Scripture, and then thinking through how to practically live them out. Today's habit sustain, it means simply to continue, to keep going. It, It speaks to that desire that all of us have as Christians to become more like the person God intends us to be, to grow. So how do we do it? How do we actually put this desire into practice and grow consistently as Christians? And how can we make 2023 a year where we become closer to Jesus than ever before? Let's find our answer in Philippians chapter 2. I want to read for you verses 12 through 18. The Apostle Paul writes, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. 
For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as light in the world. Holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I'm to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I'm glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. The Apostle Paul wrote this letter to the Philippian church. And this passage, if you notice in your Bible, it comes right after that great section he has on the example of Jesus how he lowered himself to the form of a servant and how now he's been exalted to the highest place above every other name. And coming right out of these verses, he turns his attention to us. He says, therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, so now not only is in my presence, presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now that verse is one that may give us a little pause initially. We believe strongly that we are not saved by works. There is nothing we can do to save ourselves. We're saved by faith alone in Jesus. And we we say that a lot. It's important. So this sounds a little weird to hear him say, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. What does Paul mean by that? Well, since this is the same guy who wrote, by grace you have been saved through faith, not a result of works, then we know he's not saying that you, you, you should work for your salvation. He's not saying you should be so scared of going to hell that you work really hard to let God let you into heaven. And that would contradict everything else we know in the New Testament. But let's look at what he actually says. First, he commends them for their past obedience. These are Christians. He's writing to Christians. He says, you've been doing a great job. You've been growing. I want you to continue in that. And in light of him saying that, we know here that Paul's talking about a concept we call sanctification. Big word, I know, but it has a simple meaning. Sanctification is simply the process by which we grow as Christians. It's what happens between the time you first surrender your life to Jesus and the day you step foot in heaven. That means salvation is not just a past tense event. Yes, there was a time when you first surrendered your life to Jesus And you were saved in the past tense. But the Bible also says there's a present tense aspect to our salvation. We are presently being saved now as we continue to follow Jesus and become more like him. There's also a future tense to our salvation. As one day we know we'll be saved fully and finally forever when Jesus comes back. So when Paul says, work out your salvation, he's saying, don't just get saved and sit there. But keep going, grow in your faith, pursue Jesus. Take that gospel that you first believed in and go deeper into it so that you receive more and more of the blessings of the Christian life. That phrase, work out, in our English translation, in in the original language of the Bible, is actually one word. And it has two important things we need to understand about its meaning. First off, this word means to work at something until it's finished or complete. You likely learned this as a kid. I don't know if your parents were like mine, but your parents probably told you, hey, when you start something, you better finish it. Right? Quitters never win and winners never quit. That's the idea of this word. It's to commit yourself to something until it is complete. Second thing to understand about this word's meaning is that it's in the present tense. That tells us that this work is meant to be an ongoing, daily, continuous process. 
So let's put those two, two ideas together. Let's see what Paul's saying. He's saying to work out your salvation is the process of continuous sanctification, daily growing in your faith until Jesus comes back and the task is complete. And to do this with fear and trembling. That means to do this not with a fear of judgment. We know for a Christian there's no condemnation. But to do so with a seriousness. That's what he means, fear and trembling. It's a seriousness. It's a respect, a reverence for the task that God has called us to. So here's the first thing we learn here about how to sustain our walk with Christ. Here it is. Number one, followers of Jesus sustain through strong engagement. We sustain through strong engagement. The Christian life is not let go and let God. It's actually trust God and get going. It's an active process that requires our effort and work. Again, we, we tend as Christians to kind of recoil a bit at the idea of working in the Christian life. We have this strong and right emphasis on grace. But grace doesn't mean we don't put effort into our growth. Rather, grace means that our effort does not earn our growth. We're not working to try and earn more of God's love. We already have that in Christ. As a Christian, God already loves you as much as he ever could. We can't earn that. It's a gift. So we don't work for our salvation, but we work from our salvation. We don't work to be saved. We work because we are saved. God's grace in Christ is what motivates us and enables us to work and to grow in him. But we still have to put in the work and the effort. I think about it like this. My, uh, I have three kids now, and my children's status as members of the Hayes family is not dependent on what they do or don't do. Like, I don't go home and say to them, if you refuse to eat your vegetables or you don't clean your room, you're out of this family. They would have been out a long time ago. <laughs> no, there's nothing my kids could do to stop being my kids. Like, no matter what happens, they will always be mine. They are secure in their position as my children. And yet, I still call them to obey, to serve around the house, to live and to act a certain way. And I ground that call to obedience in their position as my children. I say, because you're a part of this family, that's why you need to clean your room. That's why I ask you to listen and obey. And that's how it is for us as followers of Jesus. We should work hard to obey God and to grow more like Jesus because he is our father and we are his beloved children. My position as a child of God comes first, then I work from that. Let's look at some of the specific ways Paul calls us to sustain our faith and grow in Christ. Look at verses 14 and 15. It says, Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. These verses, Paul tells us, we sustain through strong engagement and holiness. The word holy means to be set apart to be distinct, pure, and, and different from the world. And that's the idea Paul's communicating here. It's one we see throughout the whole New Testament. In 1 Peter 1, Peter writes, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he, God, who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. It tells us holiness is not optional for the Christian life. 
It's not something for those super spiritual holy rollers. We're called to pursue this, to pursue holiness, to fight for it in our own lives. And one of the ways Paul says holiness should be reflected in the lives of Christians is through our words. He said, do all things without grumbling or disputing. Did you hear that one? (laughs) Did you know that complaining is a sin? To complain and grumble and whine and cause a stink, that's not holiness. So when you repent of that kind of talk and instead you speak, try to speak with gratefulness and respect and honor the Lord with your tongue, that's when you stand out. And that's the whole idea here. As followers of Jesus, we should be blameless and innocent. We should be without blemish. doesn't mean we'll be perfect. We know that's not possible. But it means we'll stand out in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Notice it's why we're in the midst of this messed up world that we stand out. We're distinct. He calls it like lights. We shine like lights in a dark world. People should notice something different about us. That's holiness. It's a life that doesn't just go along with the darkness around us, but that stands out. Look at the next verse, verse 16. It says, we do this holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. This verse, Paul tells us, we sustain through engagement in the gospel. That's what Paul means by that phrase, the word of life. Again, we have this idea of daily committing to follow Jesus. This is not a call to accept the message, pray a prayer, and get on with your life. This is a call to keep going, to persevere, and most importantly, to continue to trust more and more in that message, the gospel, and see how it impacts more and more of your life. Paul told the Philippian church that he wanted to get to the day of Christ, the day when Jesus comes back. And be proud to see them standing strong with him, knowing that his ministry was not in vain. That's what we want too. We keep pursuing Jesus until the day we die or the day he comes back. Yes, there are setbacks, there are failings, there are challenges. But day by day, we take hold again of the word of life, the gospel, the truth of what God's done for us in Christ. And we believe it again. Let's keep going. Verses 17 and 18. He says, even if I'm to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. These verses, Paul says, we sustain through strong engagement in joy. Did you know that Paul wrote the letter of Philippians while he was in prison? He's awaiting at this point what he knew would be his death sentence. And yet he's saying here, he says, look, even if I'm to be poured out, Even if I die for this, man, I'm still glad and rejoice. And I want you to be too. That's the kind of joy we have to have as followers of Jesus. We pursue holiness. We grow in our faith. It takes work. It's hard. It's challenging, especially with sinful flesh that we all have, the temptations of the world, the attacks of the devil. But this is the path to true, lasting joy. It's knowing Jesus more and more and living more like him. Those are not burdens. Those are calls to find joy in God. And like Paul, when we get to the end, no matter our circumstances, we will not regret a single moment with Jesus. But we'll be glad and rejoice. So we sustain through strong engagement. We're engaged. We grow by working out our salvation. That that means putting forth effort and discipline. 
That means pursuing holiness and fighting off sin. That means living differently from the world around us. This is the way of life for the Christian. We are not passive observers. We are active participants. We do not coast our way to heaven. No, we go in running a marathon, pursuing Jesus with everything we have. That's our call. But if that's all this passage said, if that's all that God had given us was just a command to be holy, that would be an impossible and defeating task. Because here's what we all know. We cannot sustain on our own. We cannot grow by our own strength and effort. We are imperfect, sinful people. Any other imperfect, sinful people out there today? Okay. Left to our own devices, we trend towards apathy and staleness. I told you earlier, I experienced that myself. Naturally, I'm lazy. Like, I'm unmotivated. So if it's all up to me and my effort, I'm not going to get very far. In fact, I'm probably going to go backwards. But here's the good news of the gospel. It's not all up to me. God has not left us alone in our sustaining and growth. But he's given us his help. There's, there's another verse in this passage we skipped over earlier on purpose because it's the key to this whole thing. Verse 13. the verse 12 says, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Here's 13. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Key to that whole verse, verse 13, is the word for. It gives us the reason why we can work out our salvation. He says, because God works in us. As we work out our salvation, as we grow in Christ and we're sanctified, we don't do this alone or in our own strength, but rather as we work out, God works in. God works inside of us. So here's the second big truth we learn about this habit of sustaining our walk with Christ. Number two. Followers of Jesus sustain through supernatural empowerment. Supernatural empowerment. The call to sustain our faith and to persevere in following Jesus, it's not dependent on me or my ability, but it's dependent on God in me, supernaturally empowering me. One of the things we learn in the New Testament is that when you give your life to Christ and you follow him, you become indwelled by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, he's not a force. He's not a ghost. The Holy Spirit is God. He is the third person of the Trinity. And one of the roles he plays is to live inside of Christians and empower them to obey God. Romans 8 tells us that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. That's the kind of supernatural power you and I have as Christians. That's how we're able to sustain. We have the power of God. The same power that made... Dead Jesus come to life. That power's in us. And what is he working in us to do? He, he wants to do something. He wants to change us. He wants to take us somewhere. Yes, he loves us as we are, but he loves us too much to keep us as we are. So Paul says it like this. He's working both to will and to work for his good pleasure. God is working out his will, his desires in us. He's empowering us to do what he's called us to do all along. So here's the amazing truth we see in Scripture. What God commands, God supplies. When God calls his people to do something, he gives them the power and the ability and the strength to do it. He doesn't send down a list from heaven and say, do all these things, good luck. 
Yes, he gives us commands, but he gives us also the grace to obey him and do what he's asked. This is what Jesus was talking about in John 15 when he talked about the fruit and the vine. He said this in John 15, 5. He said, I, Jesus, am the vine. You, Christians, are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. We don't obey and grow and do God's will on our own. No, we do it by being connected to the vine. We are the branches. We need him. It's supernatural empowerment. For apart from him, we can do nothing. Here's another verse. Paul says this earlier in Philippians 1.6. He says, and I am sure of this, that he, God, who began a good work in you, will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Notice, who brings us to completion? Who sustains us all the way to the day of Jesus? It's he who began a good work in you. God doesn't save you and leave you. What he starts, he will finish. What God commands, God supplies. And he does all this for his good pleasure. He enables us to live a life that pleases him and glorifies him. And in turn, we find the very purpose for which we were made. To glorify and enjoy God forever by growing to love him more. So here's what we learn in Philippians 2. Followers of Jesus sustain through strong engagement. And followers of Jesus sustain through supernatural empowerment. And on the surface, those two truths might seem to to contradict. Uh, Is it us working to sustain our faith? You said we need to work hard and discipline ourselves. Or is it God working in us? You said it's his grace that empowers us. Which is it that causes us to grow? Is it us? Is it God? According to this passage, it's both. One of the metaphors that's been helpful to me over the years to think about this is, is that of a boat. It's been said that some people approach the Christian life like a motorboat. They are relying on their own power and strength to get to their destination. Other Christians approach the Christian life like a raft. They think they don't need any effort at all to really do anything. God will get them where they need to go. But the Christian life is more like a sailboat. Think about it. What moves the sailboat to its destination? It's the wind. Can a sailor make the wind blow? No. But he can bring in his anchor and raise his sails and prepare them to blow his boat in the right direction. See, that's the way God works. He brings the wind that carries us and sustains us, but we must set our sails so that we're ready to be moved. Sometimes it's a gentle breeze and sometimes it's a hurricane, but over time, with God's grace working powerfully in us and us working out our salvation, we grow. So with that in mind, here's the declaration statement we made for our sustained habit. It says this, I will discipline myself to experience God's transforming power. I will discipline myself to experience God's transforming power. That word discipline speaks to something we talk about a lot here at Blue Valley, and that's the spiritual disciplines. These are practical habits laid out in the Bible that God has given to help us grow as Christians. The spiritual disciplines are how we set the sails for God's wind to blow. They're not something mysterious or mystical or something for super Christians only. They're actually basic practices Christians have been doing for 2,000 years. So they're biblical. 
time-tested and practiced by Christians all over the world. And the two bedrock disciplines that I'm sure you know of are Bible study and prayer. That's the starting point for sustaining and growing in your faith. You study the word of God to hear God speak, and you speak back to him in prayer. There are other ones we talk about a little bit less because they require more discipline, things like fasting, scripture memory, meditating on the word. Then there are corporate spiritual disciplines, the things we do together, things like serving together or worshiping together as a church family. And while the spiritual disciplines are simple, they are not easy. They require time and effort. They require you saying no to other things so you can say yes to them. They require that word discipline. Now, that word discipline, I'm not saying like punishment discipline, but I'm talking like training discipline. See, any skill you want to learn in your life requires discipline. It requires you taking time to practice it and learn it. That's true. Think about it. Of any sport, instrument, fishing, cooking, getting in shape, learning a task at your job, anything. Man, and the first time you do it, it feels clunky. It feels hard. You think, I'm never going to be able to do this. But over time, through discipline, it becomes easier and more rewarding. Why would the spiritual disciplines be any different? If you've never built the habit of reading your Bible every day, it's going to be hard at first. If you've never spent time regularly in prayer or trying to memorize Scripture, it's going to take some serious effort initially. But unlike other habits, these spiritual disciplines come with God's grace infused in them. The power of God works through them to grow you. And the result is that over time, as we spiritually work out, we are transformed. And we become more like Jesus. That's our sustained habit. Why don't you say that with me? Say, I will discipline myself to experience God's transforming power. So let's close with our challenge. How can we practically live out the sustained habit in 2023? I think the best place that all of us could start is by simply taking in God's word. So our challenge this year, your challenge, my challenge, is to begin a habit or to continue a habit of daily Bible reading. Guys, God's word is our source of truth. It's our roadmap for following Jesus. It's the greatest tool we have for spiritual formation. So if we're going to grow... If we're going to sustain in our faith, regularly taking in God's word, this is so important. I cannot over-exaggerate how crucial this is. But here's what I know. From my own experience and the experience of other believers, this is a hard habit for people to build. Maybe reading the Bible has been struggle for you. Maybe you find it boring. Maybe you find the time to set aside hard. Maybe your mind tends to wander off. Maybe you've heard the Bible in church before, but you never really read it for yourself. Can I just give you really quick before we go six tips for building a habit of reading your Bible? Six quick tips. Number one, make a plan. You know the old saying, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. And that's true. You've got to have a plan. You can't just say, man, I really need to start reading my Bible more. You've got to make a specific concrete plan you got to say, I'm going to read my Bible at this time and in this place every day. That may be in the morning at your kitchen table with a cup of coffee or on your lunch break in your car or on the couch before bed. Wherever it is, make a plan. Number two, 
Set your Bible out. One of the keys researchers have found of forming a new habit is to keep it before your eyes. They call that a cue. It cues you to perform a habit. So put your Bible out somewhere where you will see it. On your bedside table, at your desk, in your bathroom, wherever. And if you can, go ahead and open it up to the passage that you're going to read the next day. So that when you see it, it cues you and you have very little ways to get out of it. (laughs) Number three, third tip, start small. Do not start with a huge goal, if you've never read the Bible, of reading the whole Bible in a year. That takes about 15 minutes every day. Instead, start small. Just half a chapter at most. Two minutes. Uh, Researchers, they call this a two-minute rule. If you can do something for two minutes every day, you can build a habit. And the goal is to start there, to solidify, to get in the habit, and then you can always scale up and build from there. Number four, fourth tip, get a study Bible. I love my ESV study Bible. We use it at my house all the time. You can buy one on Amazon today, and it will help you so much to better study and understand what it is you're reading. And then Making an extra investment in something will motivate you a little more to stick with it. Number five, fifth tip, read with others. This is huge. Having accountability and encouragement is so important. This is another reason why we have discipleship groups here at Blue Valley. Part of our D group system is you read through a Bible reading plan together. And then you get together once a week and you talk about what you read. So if you're interested In that, being a part of a group, again, let me know. But it is so important, regardless of a discipleship group or your spouse or a friend or accountability partner, you got to read with other people. And number six, last and sixth tip, track your progress. Again, it's proven that people who track their habits are more consistent with them. So maybe that's a journal or a calendar you hang on the wall and you put a big X on. Maybe that's a Bible reading plan you print out and you check it off. But as you track your progress, that will help you to stay motivated. So those are six tips that can help you get started. And and I promise you, I promise you will not regret the time you spend this year in God's Word. If you make this a habit, a part of your life, you will grow. Now, you may be thinking, man, that sounds great. I've been thinking about this. I really want to get, I got to get better. I really want to read my Bible, but where, where do I start? I recommend people to do what has always been recommended to me. Start with the gospel of John. Read through John from start to finish, tiny little piece by piece. That is the best way to start and get in the habit. And in fact, that's what I want us to do right now. Before we leave today, I actually want to get you started. I want to show you that it's a lot easier than you think it is. So grab your Bible, use your smartphone, find a Bible in the seats in front of you. Some way, somehow, get to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. And here's what I want you to do. As Lisa comes up and plays in the background, help us focus this morning. I want you to simply read John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. John 1, 1 through 18. All you got to do, read through that on your own. Take a moment, think about it. And here's bonus points. I want you to show, I want to show you, this is possible. Memorize John 1, 1. People tell me all the time, oh, I can't memorize scripture in my brain. It just won't work. It just won't do it. I'm promising you, you can do it. John 1, 1. Read it. Think about John 1, 1. Do that now. 